Hi, welcome to Man O' Man with Malcolm Nichols. My name's Malcolm Nichols and um, this is a podcast that I've been creating for men to getting inside the the head of men, um, specifically mine, as a 40-something-year-old male and uh, sharing stories and experiences of life as they happen and as they arise, but also, I guess, kind of getting into some of the, the issues as we, that we face as humans, really, and... Um, you know, this week I thought I'd talk about an, uh, about something that's happened to me a few weeks ago, which which has really, um, yeah, had a, quite a profound impact actually. I um, about four four weeks ago now, I guess my my dog died. Um, I had this uh, beautiful beautiful big standard poodle. She was, her name was Dolly, and uh, we. So we've been, my wife and my daughter and I have been living in Bali now for about going on almost three years, two and a half, three years, and um, literally about not not even two weeks after we arrived in Bali, we met a woman who <clears throat> who, unfo- who's, who unfortunately her husband had passed away in Bali, and they were making a decision to move, or she was making a decision to move her family back to back to Australia. And one of the one of the difficult things for them was that they had this poodle that they needed a home for, and you know it's pretty standard in Bali that um, the do- people people adopt dogs and then they end up uh, the dogs end up out- outlasting them, and so dogs often have more than one home in their lifetime. I've discovered in Bali. So anyway, we we met this met this woman and. Um, and met this amazing dog, which we which we adopted. Her name was Dolly, and uh, you know I've never never had a dog before. Never never been a never had a dog as a companion. I grew up with with cats. Always loved cats because they were independent and required very little maintenance. And always had this kind of impression of dogs of being you know high maintenance and. And <clears throat> I'll be perfectly honest; they they bloody are. <laughs> um, they 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 certainly require a lot of attention. Um, but uh, you know, over the last two and a half years, me and this dog became, you know, like really really tight. I guess um, I would get up many mornings at before sunrise and, and I've talked about this before in these podcasts, you know, going down to the beach with my dog and walking my dog and and um and uh yeah, she just came kind of became an indelible part of my life. And and any anybody who's owned a dog or, you know, looked after a dog um and really become attached to a dog, I, you know, this is not a not an unfamiliar story, right? You kind of develop a really amazing relationship and you know, and there is this amazing capacity that that dogs have of pure joy, which um, I also experience in my three-year-old. Like, um, you know, they're both they're both so similar in many ways. You know, with when I when I when I would get home from work, for example, um, you know, there would be my dog and my three-year-old both kind of running out with this kind of unbridled joy, right, just to say hello. 
and jumping up and bar- and it, you know and it was it happens every single time and and it and it does happen with my daughter you know every time I go to pick her up from from school from daycare you know she does she runs out smiling hugging and um yeah i mean it's an amazing amazing thing to experience actually um so you know i guess when 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 we uh got dolly when dolly came and joined our family that was the first time i'd ever really experienced kind of having that and you know i mean i i still uh i'll always find the commitment tough i mean i'm not not somebody who's particularly great at at um at commitment and various other things although i, I am managing to to uh to stay married which is really good <laughs> <clears throat> but um yeah commitment is you know I, i've often I, I find myself getting a bit um a bit funny about it at times but but you know having this dog had, was really it was, it was just an amazing attachment and then four weeks ago out of the blue i took her out for a took her out for a walk at about 10 o'clock at night it was a sunday night and um you know out for a wee as do before we went to bed and and just a second so so we are actually looking after another dog so we've had two dogs for about the last year the second one's a golden retriever beautiful dog that we're looking after for friends and you know these two became really really close it was uh you know, really cute to see them together, and particularly, you know, we living in Bali, you know, t- taking the dogs down to the beach. We the only way we have getting around is a scooter, so I actually built this trailer for. Um, we originally built it just for Dolly the poodle. We called it the Dolly trolley, and then when we got the second dog, a golden retriever, you know, we got two big dogs, so I used to drive around with these dogs in the trailer, and. Um, and it was great, you know, we were a bit of a sideshow, a bit of a Balinese sideshow, I think. But but one of the things I used to love about it too was watching the way that they would move, you know, in the back. They would lean against each other and <clears throat> kind of to support. And as we're, you know, as we're going through the, the drive, they would, just, they would just be leaning against each other. And it was bloody cool. I used to love it, the way they would lean into each other around corners and, all, you know, and... I mean, there's lots of lessons to be taken out of that, but one that really struck me was just how we don't do that as humans. Fuck, we don't lead against each other when we when we go around corners, when we go around corners in life, right? We're actually not that good at leaning against each other, leaning into each other, and supporting each other. It's um, you know, they just do it. They did it in that instance. I mean, it's small and subtle, but it's an instinctive thing. Whereas, you know, particularly in New Zealand, it's like we do everything not to lean into everybody. You know, we're sitting in cars and we're holding our bodies upright, trying not to lean into the person next to us. And um, yeah, it's it's a bit fucking crazy actually when I when I reflect on it. You know that, and you can take that as far as you want in terms of a metaphor about us leaning into each other or not. Um, but anyway, that was that was a, a lovely little memory and example. But anyway, so going back four weeks ago, it was a Sunday night and taking her out, and then, and we came back in the house, and and my dog was wheezing <sighs> like that, and and um, I could tell instantly something wasn't right. And you know, one of the things that can happen in Bali is dogs can get poisoned. So I um I thought so I made an assumption that that is what happened. So I. I jumped on the bike and put her put her on the bike and the step through the scooter, 
and we um and 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 I raced off down to the the all night vet, which was about twenty minutes away. So the whole time I'm driving there, going, "Don't you fucking die on me! Don't you die on me, you dog!" And uh, you know, feeling quite panicky, getting to the vet, and she's visibly worse and and struggling, and you know. <sighs> And and the thing that um, you know, and I took her upstairs to, in this vet um, veterinary clinic to the emergency room, and you know they're, they're having a look at her, and I know you know trying to put oxygen on her face, unable to figure out what was going on, and asking me questions like you know did she take a, has she been kicked or anything like that, you know, and because I, I just I just had no idea what was happening, and um, but I can the thing that um. I can remember most vividly, and as I'm sitting here right now, it's such a vivid memory, is just of the face of my dog looking up at me with those eyes just pleading, obviously in panic, you know, pleading, not able to breathe. Um, yeah, God, I can almost feel myself crying now so as I'm talking about it. Unable to breathe, you know, um, and, and it just progressing... You know, and just minute each minute, just kind of getting visibly and visibly worse. And after we'd been in the vet for about twenty minutes, and they went to take take her to give her an X-ray to see if, if they could find anything. And um, you know, two minutes later, they come out and they're like, "Look, can you help us settle the dog down? She's not really unsettled." And I went in there, and and she was she had to stop breathing. She was um, unmove immovable. And, um, you know, and a minute later they kind of pronounced it dead, or a couple of minutes. But um, they, um, they, they, afterwards they, then, they did end up taking the x-ray anyway, and they found a, they saw that her lung had collapsed, and, and they found some kind of growth on her lung. And so the, the assumption is, is that the growth, whether it was a tumour or a cyst or whatever it was, the assumption is that the growth had caused her lung collapse and that's why she was, wasn't was breathing. Um, and, you know, I mean, it could have been that there was, she... I, I'm pretty sure she didn't kick. I didn't hear a yelp or anything like that. So it's the only thing that I can assume that's happened. And, and um, you know, if I was to look back... <clears throat> Over the preceding week or two before that, I, you know, I could come up with things like maybe she hadn't been eating as well as she had, or you know, she wasn't quite as vibrant. And you know, because uh, anybody who's owned a poodle knows they're they're pretty fucking vibrant dogs. They they bounce and they run, and she perhaps wasn't quite as vibrant down at the beach. But you know, there wasn't wasn't weren't, weren't many clues, or there weren't really any clues that I could say that. You know, she wasn't she wasn't any good. So it was just such a sudden experience, and um, you know, this is something I've never that I've never had before. I've never witnessed life draining out of an animal, a being, a human being before. You know, any anything that's been alive. You know what I mean? Flies, obviously, and things like that. But um, you know, and I've had my uncle passed away, but I wasn't with him when he. As the as the light left them, but but also the actual the shock of watching it happen so rapidly, you know, from from woe to go, it was an hour maximum. So to watch the the life just leave this like this dog, and and watching how um, you know panicky that was, it was yeah, it was oh man, it, 
I mean, it's still, I, I still feel really um, emotionally, really shaken up by it to a degree, you know. And in part because you know, I just fucking love that dog. And, and, um, in a way that really, really surprised, surprised me and surprises me to this day because, you know, I am crying as I'm saying this. It's, um, such an it was such a horrible thing to have to go through and and <clears throat> and it's um and it's really put me into a state of grief and you know it's and I've had you know I've got I've been through death before and I've had relationships break up and and everything else um and you know and that's and experiencing grief. So grief is not. It's not that it's unfamiliar, and but also I'm. Um, so it's not that what I'm experiencing is, is unfamiliar at all. I mean, the shock is being intense. The shock of being there was intense. Um, but the the feeling of grief, you know, I've been through before, and it's really. Um, it's amazing how what 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 the feeling of grief what I notice it does to me you know like one is one is I get exceptionally um, oh, just heavy it's like the it's like like the life is drained out of me for a little bit um, you know that that I can't you know it's just this feeling of just not you know not being able to move or do anything right and particularly at the beginning, um, just so weighted and, um, yeah, heavy, you know, life just, life becomes, you know, it takes on that, that, that real monotone experience, and, um, yeah, and, and what I, and, and, it, and it's just this thing of, Kind of knowing that um, it's only the only the only way through it is time, right? The only way through getting through any of this thing is time. And you know, one of the reasons I haven't done this podcast is that I knew that if I did it a couple of weeks ago, I'd probably be you know sobbing away in tears. And now there's a bit of time that's gone by, and I'm you know I'm feeling more capable about talking about the whole experience because I really wanted to share it, in part because. Um, you know the, the the sting of death. You know, I think that we're really crap at talking about death in, in our society and our culture. We're crap at talking about death, and we're crap at talking about grief. We're even worse at talking about grief than we are about death. I reckon. Um, you know, I mean, because death is it's such a natural process, right? It's fucking shocking, but it's such a natural process. And you know, I one of the, one of the things I always remember in my um, in my Buddhist days, is when I was part of a you know a, a tradition called Nukadampa tradition, great, tra- really great tradition. But you know, there's you know in Buddhism, death is a big thing, and in, in that it, it's a we, we talk about it a lot. They talk about it a lot, and and one and there's actually a practice where we we meditate on your own death, you get guided down through the experience of dying, and. It's an incredibly powerful experience, you know. Because one of the things that um, that I witness in myself and I witness in the world, you know, is as humans, we all know we're going to die. We're the only animals that really have this kind of sense 
and understanding that we are going to die. But the problem is, is that none of us actually really believe it. <laughs> you know, um, it's kind of like it's this abstract concept that we're going to die, and every now and then we get a blast of it, of the fact, of, of a reminder of it when something near and someone or something near and dear to us dies. But, but generally speaking, it's like we live life as if we're not going to die. You know, I mean, and this is one of the Buddhist points, right? Is that you know we might think that we're going to die. I might understand it cognitively, but we live life as if we're not going to die. And so what the Buddhists do is they, they, they feel like the act of doing that makes us waste our life. You know, because, I mean, they're they looking at this from a spiritual context, right? But, it, but, it, but, it, but it's the same for anything, right? It's like the act of us not realizing that we're going to die, not, not living as if we could die tomorrow, means that we waste our life we spend our life worrying about stupid shit that's unimportant and um, getting caught up in mundane things forgetting that which is really important and what you want to focus on is really important is you know i mean from a buddhist context it's gaining enlightenment right or working towards that um but, you know, even if I'm talking about in, in just a, a basic human context, it's like, well, what are the most important things, you know? And that, that is a personal, you know, that, that's a personal thing to find out on, but to explore. I mean, I know for me personally that um, possibly the most single most important thing is this sense that I'm, I feel alive in my life, and it's hard to describe what that means, but, but it's like, if I'm, in whatever I'm engaged in, I feel like I'm alive while I'm doing it. It's like I'm aware of what I'm doing. So if I'm hugging my wife, for example, like I'm really feeling that. I'm feeling that hug. If I'm working with a client, you know, I'm there, I'm present to it, I'm, I'm living it. It's really important for me that I'm not um, I'm not worried caught and caught up in the worries and the expectations of life, but simply enjoying the moments of life itself. It doesn't matter what I'm doing. I, you know, a lot of people think that it's if, if it comes down to it, you ditch work and just go and do the pleasurable things. I, I don't think that's right either. I think, but I think it's about this this pure sense of being in the experiences of everything that we're doing, whether they're great or small, you know. Um, you know so this is, the, this is the idea, like, that if we, you know, what I've certainly noticed since my dog died is it's like, and, and this is the gift of death, you know, and this is, I think, one of the things I wanted to talk about today was that, you know, death is actually a gift. It's a gift to all of us if we allow ourselves to um, to really acknowledge it and take it for what it is. It's a gift, right? Because I know that since my dog has died, every time I say goodbye to my daughter, I'm now aware, for example, that anything could happen. And I want to know that the way that I've said goodbye to her I, if, if, if something happened to her that I would feel, I, you know, I'd feel great loss, obviously, but I feel like 
I let her know how much I loved her, even if it's just simply a hug or a kiss or whatever it is, right? And the same thing with my wife, and and I've been and and friends, and I've been feeling that it's like every time I come out of the water from a surf, it, since then it's been like. You know, I've wanted to just kind of acknowledge how beautiful that surf was, you know, even if it was a shitty one, but it's just to acknowledge the greatness of being in the water. And I think that is <clears throat> that is the gift of the gift of death, really, is that it makes me so present to where I am and what I'm doing. Or this death has me made has made me so present to where I am and what I'm doing. And so that's so the Buddhists were onto something big time, and I, you know, I've done that meditation, and it is amazing, and <laughs> I think I should do it every bloody day, you know. But or it was some part of it, this recognition that, you know, I could die today, or the people around me could die today, anything could happen. Therefore, therefore, how I choose to live in these moments is of utmost importance. What my, how I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, is of utmost importance. Um, so yeah, so that's, I mean, that's been a remarkable experience since losing my dog. Um, so that's been intermingled. I started to go down this path of grief. I went on a little side, side bend of the, I was, I was going to do that last bit after I talked about grief, but now I'm going to talk about grief after the surprising upside of death. Cause the other, the other thing of course is, is going through the experience of grief, right? Of loss. And, you know, I've been, and it's been a really, it's, you know, I mean, I'm sure if I lost my daughter, this would be a much bigger process than losing a dog. Um, but, but actually that's to belittle the relationship that I've, that I had with my dog, with, with Dolly. It was a, it was just lovely, you know, and it's, and one of the things that was so hard about losing her in the space of an hour is I did come away feeling, man, I just... I just want. I just wish I got to play with her one more time. I just wish I got to to give her a hug and to run down the beach one more time, you know. And that's, um, you know, that's been a big part of my sadness. Is that, you know, I've got all these amazing memories, and I feel like there were, you know, there there were times when I didn't actually. I got caught too much in my own world and didn't actually enjoy those moments with my dog, right? And I know that that's, um, it's just my mind beating me up and it's what everybody's mind does. But it's, it's the reality, it's there, right? And that's what, that's what part of the grief is all about. It's, it's about that, these memories and my, what my mind is doing and the sadness that's come through all of this. So one of the, you know, as I've been going through this, you know, one of the things I'm realizing is, is that and a part of grief is just is learning to accept that all of that has transpired and having to um, you know reconcile that come to a place of acceptance inside me about all those things about the things that I'm not going to be able to get to do anymore and the, and the sadness of missing missing her and you know and, and it's easy to I think part of grief when we lose someone or something so quickly like that is this for me, there's this little bit of, you know, beating myself up for wasted opportunities and things like that, right? So all of those things contribute to the experience I have of feeling grief. And, um, you know, so 
you know, I'm just having to kind of work my way through that really and it's and it's not easy it's um it's tough it's it's a process it's a journey but one of the other things I'm, I notice you know I talked about how flat I, you know I've been feeling and the last little bit I wanted to talk about was this was a piece that I read um, it was an excerpt from a book called Lost Connections and I, uh, I can't remember the guy's name but the book's called Lost Connections and it's, and it's a guy who's talking about depression and um, and his journey through depression and and, and one of the things that he, one of the things that he talks about in the book is that you know when when they first started prescribing antidepressant pills and things like that back in the day and they were they were, you know, telling doctors, you know, the pharmaceutical companies were telling doctors about, you know, what, what symptoms to look for when it comes to um, depression. One of the things the doctors realised was actually the symptoms for depression and the symptoms for grief are exactly the same. They're exactly the same. And and so what they, they, they so when originally when they first came up with all this, they came up with something called the grief exception. And so what the grief exception was, was that, you know, if you came up with all these symptoms, you would be prescribed antidepressants unless within the last 12 months you had suffered a great loss. You know, a family member had died or something like that. And then, of course, you were, you were just um, experiencing grief. And then a year, a year if, if this kept on going, you got through a year, then you'll move from grief into depression. <laughs> Uh, one of the things that one of the points that he made in the book was that over the years that grief exception has been whittled away now to the point where even if somebody has died and you come in with these feelings of um, grief, you know the, the the flatness, the not being able to get out of bed, blah blah blah. I don't even know what they are, but um, I can just go on how I'm feeling. You know, then um, uh, you would just get automatically get prescribed antidepressants. So it didn't matter whether it was grief or whether you were grief or or depressed. But what what I actually think so one of the points that this guy was making is that actually what we that what what we've done now is we've kind of labelled grief as a as a as almost like this a bad thing we, by by kind of calling grief depressed when you when you're grief stricken you're depressed right you're kind of making this leap now. And I just think that is the worst bloody thing that we could ever do. Grief is such a natural process to go through, which I'm finding right now, you know. I'm finding myself coming through it. I'm coming out of it. I'm talking about it. Um, beginning to... Uh, my memories are beginning to fade a little bit of the... Of just how, of the of the sadness around losing my dog and the, some of the blame, and I'm now moving into that state of just mem remembering the really beautiful things. You know, I'm always going to have the memory of her etched in my mind, where um, she, you know, that pleading look that's always going to be there. But you know, it's now all these other memories are coming in of the good times, and I'm not, you know, I'm not so angry at myself for for not being as loving and kind as I could have been in those last, you know, the last few days or something, you know, whatever I've been doing to myself. So, you know, I think it, it's a natural process. And by us, it, it's so dangerous, I think, by us beginning to deny grief as a, as a part of human existence. 
or at least trying to limit the experience of grief, which I think when you start to give somebody a pharmaceutical antidepressant or anti-anxiety or whatever, you know, we're, we're limiting our experience. I mean, limiting our experience of human, but also if you can't go through grief, what I'm starting to say, you can't, it's impossible to actually get the upside of experiencing death. And this upside of experiencing death, of all of a sudden being so much more profoundly aware of um, my day-to-day existence and my interactions with people, particularly the ones I love, but the interactions with everybody, you know, it's like I just feel so much more profoundly alive and connected as a consequence of witnessing death. And so to try to limit that or minimize that by by calling it depression and things like that, man, that's just the worst fucking thing I think we could ever do. And actually, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I can feel myself getting angry as I'm talking to this microphone about it because, you know, as sad as I have been, I could also say to you in the last four weeks, I've just had some of the most incredible moments and they've been small moments, you know, like... Um, you know, right now I can I can just see in my mind my daughter running to me with this big smile and giving me a hug. And I know I'm away at the moment. I've been away for about five days. I'm going to be home in two and a half days. And I know that when I see her, she is going to give me the biggest hug, and it's going to be amazing. And it's the same thing with my with my wife. You know, she. Um, you know, I feel like we've had some really, really beautiful moments recently as a consequence of going through this because I just cherish things so much more. You know, I cherish life and being alive much more as a consequence of witnessing the the sadness of death and being involved in it. Um, so yeah, so here's to to all of you who have been through a grief been through death I feel you human animal I don't think I think the fact that what I'm also learning now is to actually box it and say that one is more important than the other is wrong is was wrong is um is it's a personal experience you know I've been completely taken aback by just how personal I felt around this so it's a personal experience death is a very very personal experience and um, it's okay. However, you, however you feel is all I can say. However you feel is totally um, all right. It's okay. And to go through the process is incredibly natural, and um, and actually quite beautiful, as as I'm experiencing, um, and sad. And but it's all about being alive, right? And. Um, you know, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna finish here with one last piece, and this is a this is a, a, a another great experience with this. So in Bali, they cremation's the standard way of of saying goodbye over here, Hindu practice, right? So we cremated our dog the fault the day after she died, and um, and over here it's it's not like in the West where you, they're kind of in a box and then disappear in behind a behind a wall into the flames, right? Yeah, <laughs> it was much more like they barbecued her. Basically, they put her on a. It was like a, a, a barbecue, so it was it had three walls um, and a and a grill which she sat on top, and the front of it was open, and they put a, a lid on the top of it to stop the 
the, the any of the dust and her ashes from flying away. So they contained all the ashes. And then they basically got a flamethrower, and they put a flamethrower at, at the entrance, and they just and they <laughs> and they and they it took about an hour, and they just fucking char grilled char grilled Dolly to till she was nothing but dust. <laughs> Which sounds brutal, but you know, and I'm laughing about it because it was, you know, it's so, so shockingly different to what we experience, right? But the amazing thing is, is that, you know, we took my wife and I, Evelyn and I, took our three-year-old daughter Maya along to to see Dolly to you know, she put her hands on on our dog. You know, she was cold at this point. They did a beautiful little ceremony. Um, where we honoured honoured the dog and then put her on, and then we, and then we all sat there and watched them, uh, watched her burn, watched her burn, watched her be cremated, and Maya watched the, you know, she she watched it and then she went away and played and came back and watched it and the whole time she was, you know, we were talking about it, we were talking about it, saying goodbye and and she was going and she was, you know, she was no longer here with us. That the body is, you know, that Dolly's gone and it's just the body that's burning and <clears throat> and um. And we've been able to have the most open conversations about it, and it's been amazing to watch just how she was able to handle it. And she get it, she got it, she totally got it. And um, you know, she was sad a little bit, but also totally fine. And and um, so a big lesson. The other big lesson I've got is n- I'm never going to hide anything from my daughter. Kids can handle anything. Fuck, they're they're resilient. Kids are resilient, and we do them a disservice by hiding anything from them. We do them a disservice by preventing them from breaking their arms. We do a disservice, in my opinion, by letting them um, not get dirty, all this sort of stuff. And and witnessing how my daughter handled death has just reinforced that. So that's my last little piece. So I I hope you found this um, podcast... um, thought-provoking, interesting. It, um, it's certainly been quite emotional one for me to talk about and I just want to thank you all for listening. If you have any comments, please feel free to send them my way. Um, I'd love to hear from you and uh, any ideas for the next podcast. I'm pretty sure that the next one I want to... Well, I've got some good ideas for the next two which I'll surprise you with when they come up. But... I want to thank you all for thank you all for listening. I much appreciated. This is Malcolm Nichols signing out.